I invite you to gather your copy of God's Word and turn to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to 2 Kings and chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, and we will read verses 14 through 21. And at this time, I'll ask if you are physically able to stand with us and honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and precious Word. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Apak until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. And then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year, and as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. May God bless the reading of his word today. We know through the promise of God's Word, it will not return void or empty. Let us receive it by faith as it has been read before us today. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we have worshipped You. We have celebrated the life that You give to us through Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, I call upon You in this sacred time, standing at this sacred place, behind this sacred book, asking for your blessings upon this message. And I pray, Lord, that it is not I that preach, but you that preaches through me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, open the hearts and minds, the ears, the eyes of each person in this room today. Hide me, Heavenly Father, behind this word, behind the name of Jesus Christ, behind the cross, behind the gospel, and may they only see you. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and all of his children said together, Amen. You know, there's a lot you can learn by the deathbed of an old Christian or a Christian. Some of the most sacred times I've seen in my life has, uh, or experienced have actually been at the deathbeds of Christians. Hard, yes. Heart-wrenching, yes. Sacred and beautiful, yes. Elisha, the man of God, the mighty prophet who asked for a double portion from Elijah 
And he did receive that. He watched Elijah go up into the sky. He continued on as the great prophet anointed by God. A double portion of Elijah's anointing Elisha had. And now this great prophet had grown old and he had grown sick. And he had come with the sickness that he would die with. Hearing the news of the mighty man of God, the king of Israel, went down to see Elisha. Troubled in his heart, he boldly exclaims, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. You see, Elijah had been not only a great prophet that had spoken God's word to his people, even though most many of those words fell upon deaf ears, many miracles had come from the hand and life of Elisha. And he had been a witness to Israel and brought victory to them by proclaiming the word of God. And now this king realizes maybe at the end or at the end of Elisha's life, he realizes what they are about to lose. And isn't that true in our life? We take so many things for granted until we are about to lose them or lose them and we see their value. We see their beauty. And so the king comes to visit Elisha before he would die. He mourns that Elisha is dying. And it said, and Elisha said to him, King, Take your bow and arrows. See, this was important. The king was worried about the future prosperity of the nation with Elisha dying. Take your bow and arrows. Now, mind you, the king didn't travel by himself, did he? I'm sure there was quite a few people, many around the house and in the house there. And Elisha says, King, you take your bow and arrows. And he begins to teach him by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, a lesson of where the power of God comes from. And it comes from God and not just a man. And Elisha was teaching him that even after he was gone, God is still with his people. And he says, now you take a bow, your bow and an arrow and you draw it. And so the king draws it. And then Elisha gets up, and he puts his hand on the hand of the king as he has the bow drawn back with the arrow in it. And Elisha then says, now open the windows eastward. Point the bow and arrow toward the east. Most likely, most scholars believe he was having him point toward Gilead, which was in Israel but were being attacked by the Assyrians and pressured at that time. And Elisha has his hands, and one of the other men must have come and opened the wooden windows. Shoot. And he shoots toward the east. And Elisha said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory. The victory over Syria 
for you shall fight the Syrians in Apac until you make an end of them. In other words, God's victory is to totally destroy your enemies. That's the arrow of victory. That's God's power. Even after I'm gone, Elisha's saying, God's going to be with you. God's going to raise up other prophets to preach the Word, to do mighty works, until the one great prophet would come promised that would totally redeem his people. Of course, we know that to be Jesus Christ. Wow, what a relief that must have been to the king before all the other people. And just picture this, this mighty picture in your mind, if you will. But then Elisha says to the king, Now, take your other arrows and strike the ground with them. And most likely what he meant was shoot your other arrows into the ground. And the king, it says here, took he shot three arrows and he stopped. He shot three times and he stopped. What's the big deal about that? And it said that then the man of God, Elisha, was angry with him. Why did you only shoot three times? I believe to quote Sherlock Holmes, why do so many people give up after the number three? Why did you only shoot three times? You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria. He had just given him the promise of the victory of the Lord's arrow, the power of God upon them as they went into battle against Syria. And then he said, you shoot the rest of those arrows to represent totally annihilating God's enemies against God's people. But he only shot three times. I don't know if he thought it was silly. I don't know if he didn't understand the magnitude of this situation, but whatever it was, he shot three times and stopped. And Elisha is angered. Why did you give up after three? The consequences were, now since you did not shoot all of your arrows, you only shot three, you will only strike down Syria three times. Now, historically we know that after minor victories here and there, the Israelites were eventually taken into captivity by Syria. So this is a very important passage of Scripture that foretells that. And it shows that he could have had total victory over the Assyrians if he would have trusted, if he would have shot more than three arrows. So you're wondering, what's the big deal about the number three? It really doesn't have anything to do with three. The point was, he didn't shoot all of his arrows. He only shot three. And what this teaches, or what Elisha is saying to the king is, the king lacked an eagerness, an intensity to strike down the people that God said he would give them victory over. He did not show any eagerness, any intensity with the promise of God that Elisha had just shown him as he laid his hand up on his hand and told him to shoot the arrow eastward and said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory. There was no power. There was no passion. 
Elisha just told him, God is with his people. God will never let you go. Even after I die, God will raise you up. God does not forsake his people. After a mighty promise such as that, after the man of God lays his hand upon the king and tells him that promise, and then he says, and you strike the rest of your arrows, and he only shoots three, leaving many more. No passion, no power, no intensity, no eagerness. This is what would rise Elisha's anger towards the king. Beloved, I want to ask you today as we have heard a song called Wasted Years and I present to you today the message entitled Unused Opportunities. These were unused arrows. There were more arrows to shoot to show complete victory that God was going to give His people. But now, because of the lack of passion and trust and intensity and expectation, Israel would only strike down Syria three times, and eventually they would be taken into captivity. Unused opportunities for victory in our life. You know, have you ever heard people say, you know, I have absolutely no regrets. I think they're lying right through their teeth. I have regrets. Now, I've never regretted when I've trusted the Lord. I've never regretted when I walked with the Lord. I've never regretted when I have acted in faith to share the Word or pray or whatever. I've never regretted any of that. But, beloved, I do have regrets over unused arrows. I do have regrets over wasted opportunities. Times when I felt the Spirit opened a door for me to act, whether that was in proclaiming to someone the glorious gospel, bringing peace and forgiveness instead of the opposite. I do have those regrets. I do have those regrets that I've not had passion towards what God has called me to be. I've not acted with the same purpose that He saved me for. I've been half-hearted in my duties as a Christian. I do have regrets. And for those people that say, I have no regrets, they're not paying attention to their unused arrows. Some of these still haunt me at times in my life. A neighbor that passed, and I'd said many times, I need to talk with them about the Lord, and never did. The person at the gas station who built a relationship with through time and thinking, I need to speak with her about the Lord, and then one day she no longer works there, and I never see her again. The time I should have shown grace instead of anger. Oh, I do have regrets. And the older I get, I'm going to tell you, the more I have to say the words I'm sorry. And especially to my family and to my church family. I say I'm sorry a lot more than I used to. Yes, I do have regrets of wasted opportunities. Would we too be like the king? Are you like me? That there have been times you've read the promises of God? You've read the commands of God and we've been half-hearted in our religious duties. 
We've been half-hearted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been half-hearted about reading the Word of God faithfully and depositing it into our hearts. We've been half-hearted about our prayer life. We've been half-hearted about our giving. We've been half-hearted about loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we do settle into just going through the motions and plain church, as so many people say, and that's a good terminology. It's a correct term. Because we do. We fade out in the message because we're thinking of where we're going to eat, and I've done that. I'm doing it right now. We won't show forgiveness to the person that needs forgiveness. We won't show patience and grace to others, yet God has been so gracious to us and patient with us and forgiving to us, and yet we're unloving and kind to even our church family, our family that God's put around us. Would we be like the king? Are we a three-strike Christian? Bam, bam, bam. Let's get this over with. This is ridiculous. Would we be half-hearted? As one has said, I believe the proof is in the pudding. And I think the state of the American Christian church, for the most part, is proof that we have been three-strike Christians. We are half-hearted in our relationship with the Lord. We've been given opportunity after opportunity to stand and act by faith, as you saw A.J. Jones do today, and we pass upon it. Ah, it's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. When you say it's not a big deal, you're downplaying this young man's faith. And you're downplaying, more importantly than that, the Word of God and the command of Jesus Christ. What's the big deal? They don't need me to help or serve at Oneida coming up and as we serve them. They have plenty of people. They have more time than me. I, I can't give like so-and-so, and they don't, they don't need my money, and I need it more anyway, and I don't like where some of that mission money goes or really don't like the preacher. Don't feel bad. I don't like myself either half the time. Would we too be like the king, stand before the promise of God and have God himself through Jesus Christ lay his hand upon our hand, give us the promise of victory over death, victory over life, and then say, ah, I'll shoot three arrows, let's get out the door. Would we wear our emotions on our sleeves and always be unforgiving? always waiting for our chip to be knocked off our shoulder and give excuses that we can leave and let someone else partake in the duties that we once committed to because we don't care? Would we too be three-strike Christians? I know I have. Have you? Are you? Even now? Would we sing the song that Rick sang? Would we admit today that there have been wasted years when we could have shot the arrow of victory, when we could have stood up by faith and deep convictions and followed God into battle and made a difference in a dark world? Or did we shrug it off? 
and say, that's for somebody else more talented than me, more prepared than myself. That's for somebody else. Are there unused arrows right now in your case, beloved? I believe I've got some myself that need to be shot. Because of the goodness and the grace that God has shown to me, there are times when it will be too late to use the arrows. One of the great lies of Satan, I believe, and he is the father of all lies, and he tells many lies, but I believe one of the greatest tools in Satan's toolbox is the lie of time. It's not that he can always convince people that there's nothing precious about this word. I think even enemies of it realize there's something about this book that it can't be destroyed. And it's not for everybody that they don't recognize that there was something special and unique and powerful about the person of Jesus Christ. Even opponents of Jesus Christ will admit, they have to admit, there was a man that walked upon this earth named Jesus Christ that did mighty things, that changed history forever. Even if they hate him, they can't deny that. But the lie of time, the lie of there'll be more time, I think is one of Satan's greatest tools. When someone hears the message when they're convicted by the Spirit, not only in church, at home, I need to read my Bible more. I know I do. I need to pray more often. I need to share the gospel. I need to volunteer more at the church. I need to do more good. But you know what? I've got a lot to do right now. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not prepared. I don't have the resources that other people have. I've got more time. We might not say those words, but that's what we think. There's tomorrow, right? And if there's not tomorrow, there's the next day, right? And if there's not the next day, then we'll get it next week. And maybe this fall will be a good time to answer the call and do those things that will help the Lord's cause in our city and in our state and around the world. Maybe next year I'll be in a better place. Maybe the following year. Let me get retired well, after I retire, we're going to travel some. So when we really settle down after that, then I think that's one of Satan's greatest lies to keep people unsaved, to keep Christians half-hearted, is I'll do it later. Don't have time right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 tells us quite the opposite. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you behold now is the favorable time now is the time that today is the day of salvation i have promised you victory i came and died for you i was raised on the third day conquering death that you too might conquer death i've given you hope i've given you peace i've given you purpose i've given you power through the Holy Spirit. Now is the time. Redeem the time. Shoot the arrows, all of them, every day, every week. Don't waste the years that God has given you. 
Don't be half-hearted. Don't walk around as if you've not been saved and redeemed for great and mighty act and purpose. Have eagerness in your spirit. Intensity in your Christian duties and love for the Lord. The story was told about a Kentucky preacher that told this story many years ago. I'm not saying every detail of what I'm about to tell you is correct, but I have read where the story really happened. That a Kentucky preacher talked about a couple up in the mountains of Appalachia, right here in Kentucky. She was a devoted young wife to her husband, and they had had dreams that even in great poverty they were going to rise and be prosperous in their dealings. And so year came that they afforded a little bit of land, and they started a little farm, and they worked so hard, day and night. She was so submitted to helping her husband work and toil in the land and for the family. That year came, they made a profit. They bought more land. And she asked for a silk dress from her husband. Well, let's give it some time because we need to take the money we're buying. We don't need to be frivolous with our money. We need to buy more property and have more livestock, more cattle, more hogs, plant more corn. And so another year went by, the same. Another year, the same. The land continued to increase. The livestock continued to increase. The harvest continued to increase. Money continued to come in. But still, the years went by. No silk dress. There was no time. Because of her hard work and dedication, she fell ill and died prematurely. The old Kentucky preacher, as he recalled this story, said that shortly after the man lost his reasoning about himself and they found him one day at the graveside of his wife wrapping yards of silk linen around the tombstone, racked with guilt of wasted years. But you know, it was too late. He couldn't get that back. He could have bought all the silk in the world, but it's too late. Now there was just guilt to work through and regret. May we not leave here today without making the decision that we know the Holy Spirit wants us to make and has called us to make, whether that's to be more dedicated in our life, whether that's to become a Christian or to make it public or to follow through with biblical baptism, whatever it is today, today is the day. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Do not be a three-arrow Christian today. Do not have another unused opportunity to call out to God and say, I will trust you. I'll follow you. I'll serve you with my life. What do we do with the unused arrows the arrows that were never shot and then the time was too late to act upon it there's a wonderful in the back part of that scripture in verses 20 and 21 that we read today and you might be thinking why did the writer why did 
the Holy Spirit have the writer put this in about Elisha's bones? Does it? Why is it stuck here? I think it's very. I know it's very strategically stuck here by God in the Scriptures. You just saw the king. He was given. He was promised victory, and then he only shot three arrows, and he was half-hearted in acting upon the promise of God through the prophet of God. And then Elisha speaks to him, since you only shot three arrows, you'll only defeat Syria three times. They would go into captivity. And then we get these two little verses, so Elisha died, and they buried him. And then it talks about the band of Moabites that used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And so there was a group of people burying someone. And this band of raiders, if you would, starts to, to break up what they're doing. And out of haste, they throw this man, this dead man, into the grave of Elisha. Now this happened some years later. It's, it didn't happen just then because it said, as the man touched the what of Elisha? The bones. Elisha's body had decayed. It was his bones. And when this dead man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Even after he was dead physically, he was still working miracles. What does that teach us? Why is it placed here? It teaches us that God resurrects dead things. And it points us to the greater prophet, the true prophet, Jesus Christ, that redeems even our wasted years. You might be here today and you're feeling dead inside. You're filled with guilt and regret. You have no purpose. You're depressed. Whatever it is, you're angry. You're mad. I don't know what it is. And there's hope for you today. My friend, because Jesus still brings back to life dead things. Even the regrets, even the unused arrows. You might say, is it too late for me? Are you here? Do you think you're here by accident today? Is it too late for me to be saved? God has given you another opportunity to hear the gospel here this morning. It's not too late, my friend. Is it too late for me to follow the Lord, to do something with my life? It's not too late. God will put more arrows in your hand. And He will raise the dead things of our life. He'll raise us. And that points us even to the greater resurrection that will happen on that glorious day when God speaks to the Son, bring the children home. And the dead in Christ shall rise. First, and then we who are left will follow after them for that meeting in the air. We hope you have enjoyed our service and invite you to return to our website and listen to the numerous other podcasts we have posted. If you would like to join us in person, service times and location are listed on our homepage. Thank you for listening.